Hello, beloved. Matthew chapter 18. Jumping right in, huh? Yes, man. Just jumping on in. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. These are Jesus' words. These are our Lord's words. So just think about this. I've been thinking about this a lot. When Jesus says in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, he commanded what I'm about to read us to do. He did. Uh, chapter 18, verse 15. So if a church doesn't do this, they're not obeying the Great Commission. Verse 15. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Yay. <laughs> verse 16. But if, he, but if he does not listen, oh, take one or two others along with you. That why? That every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. This is pulling off of teaching in Deuteronomy. That's right. Yep. Uh, okay. If he refuses to listen to them, uh, tell it to the church. That must be the local church. It's got to be a local church. Surely we are not going, we're going to get, well, we're getting ahead. Let's right. stop. Uh, and if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, uh, which would mean simply an outsider. Mm-hmm. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two or three, or if, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, Restoration Church, welcome to another podcast where today you should be able to guess what we're talking about. So if that's the answer, we would say, if this was Jeopardy, you would say, bling, and you would say, what is restorative church discipline? There you go. Ding. That's right. 200. What will be the next category, Joey? Uh, uh well, let's review real quick okay. how we got here. So we talked about a couple episodes, the church and what the church does. We talked about the gospel and the gospel creates the church and then the church is responsible to proclaim the gospel. That's preaching. That's teaching. That's discipling. Uh, portray the gospel or picture the gospel. How do we do that, Nathan? The ordinances. Uh, Lord's Supper baptism. That's right. And then finally, we protect the gospel. And so this is the back door, as it were. Mm-hmm. And we call it restorative church discipline. So why do we, why do we call it restorative church discipline, Nathan? Cause that's the ga- that's the aim. That's, that's the right. goal. Yeah. That's so clear in 1 Corinthians 5 5. Yeah. So most of the time we think about, you know, I think about my kids. I don't discipline them just cause I'm angry at them and I want them to feel my wrath. That's right. You know, it's because I want them to, I have something better in view for them. And I, and I think it's come back. It's it's that that reminder. This is not punitive. We're not punishing people for a sin. Yeah. That's God's job. Like yeah. That's that's not the church's job. Mm-hmm. We are hoping to restore them through the exercise of careful discipline. So, how would you? What is church discipline, then, Nathan? What is it? Uh, it <laughs> is protecting the who and the what of the gospel. It is uh, exhorting, uh, commanding, admonishing unrepentant sinners uh so as to come back so it's it's calling people that are unrepentant in their sin to turn around and come back now that creates a question it ought to come in our mind well well gosh aren't there a lot of us that are sinning yes Mm. yeah so when do we do this so that's what it is it's this act of confronting a brother sisters ensnared in sin when do we do it for every time every person sins we got to chase them down and start the process well, yes and no. In one sense, yeah, we always ought to be per- pursuing each other and calling each other to repentance yep. in one sense. But uh, the reason why we kind of move through this list, now we tend to think of restorative church discipline only as that last step of excommunication. But you'll notice there's three steps. It could be just two people happening in a community group or just talking after church or just getting coffee. And it happens there. It happened there. So we're always pursuing. But when it when it 
uh, when people are unrepentant, there's the kicker. Yeah. It's unrepentant. They're unwilling to turn away from something that is demonstrably sin in the eyes of God, which kind of maybe leads, maybe, Joey, would this be a good time to ask the question, you know, how is it we know to move forward in the other steps? Yeah, I mean, I think as we continue to think about the the win, as, as you said, it's not for somebody who's weak and struggling in a sin. Yeah. It's for the strong who's defiant and unwilling to repent. And it also has to be it has to be public, and it has to be unrepentant, and in some ways it has to be grievous. So if we go to somebody and say, "Well, uh, brother or sister, I see the pride in your heart," mm-hmm. like we can't we can't discipline for yeah, that. It's difficult. Yeah, it's because it's difficult to know, you know, demonstrably when what, and where that's happening. That's right. You know those kinds of things. But if that pride begins to manifest itself in that they are creating division, yeah. they are slandering, they are uh, promoting themselves more than the gospel or whatever the case is. Well, then, then we can, it's become public. It's become yeah. manifest. Yeah. And so I think in, in, in only in cases of, of substantiated, not just suspected, but substantiated, habitual, willful, unrepentant sin. Walk through each of those words. Uh, so substantiated. Jesus yeah. says, you know, go. And mm-hmm. if they don't listen to you, then take a few others along with you. Well, I don't think that's just to, I think it is increasing the confrontation, but I also think it's bringing substantiation. Yeah. So it's not just, hey, I heard so-and-so, but there's two or three others that say, yeah, we, we saw or heard or confirmed the same thing. Yeah, we found out it's this is a real thing. It's not just something we That's made right. up. That's right. Um, uh, habitual, in a way. It's it's an ongoing thing that they're, that they're doing. So it's uh, a sta- like we see this is a real sin. It's habitual. Namely, this is something that's just continuing to happen. That's right. Uh, willful. They're giving into it joyfully, if you will, willfully, and they're unrepentant. There's, there's no signs of repentance. In fact, they're only, it's only getting harder and harder in their heart. Yeah, they're leaning into that's it. That's right. And so that's when, when we, when we, uh, and as you said, the when is almost, and you see in the how. So let's move to the how. So how that, that first step is one on one. Hopefully, as you said, that's happening all the time. Yeah, it's happening all the time. Yeah. Uh, and start of church discipline, we should always be calling each other to, to repentance. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're, I'm 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 hopeful that this is happening almost every week in community groups and in the over coffee and dinner tables and things of the like. Yeah, and, and so marriages. Yep, uh, and and so I think that every church, to a degree, practices church discipline. Yep. Now, how how long they go in the processes, we'll talk about. I I think churches kind of the more formal or more public it gets, less churches do it. Yep. But you see, yep. that first step is that's always happening, and then uh, if he doesn't listen to the one, you bring two. Uh, two or three along with them. And again, you, that's maybe the community group level or whatever the case may be, people that are involved. Mm-hmm. That's happening again all the time. Then when we get to the kind of the third stage or third step, mm-hmm. and that's when it gets a bit more public. Yeah. So a bit more, <laughs> a lot more. Uh, yeah. Cause he says, tell it to the church. The word there is ecclesia. That's assembly. So tell it to the assembly. So what does that require? Nathan? If we're telling it to the church, what does it require? There has to be an assembly. There has to be people that have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son that are known to be as such that come together in a gathering. Uh, and then we inform them. You know. How do we typically do that? Do we that normally happens at a members meeting? Right. Not, it's yeah. not a Sunday morning announcement. No, it's not a Sunday morning announcement, you know, because there's, you know, we could do it at a Sunday morning announcement. Very, very well could. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep it, uh, we're trying to keep it clear on those people that are, 
that we uh, this kind of goes back to the church membership piece you know that we understood themselves to be that both sided we got married to each other we bound that covenant so there's a definable group of people that are God's people just as God has always had a definable group of people and so that members meeting we're confident that the people in there are those people whereas at a Sunday morning gathering Anybody could be in there. That's right. You know, we have no idea who's there and what's there, but we yeah. could do it Sunday mornings. Yeah. And it's just it's, it's more again, wise to do it at a members meeting. Right. And it's not loving for the person that we're pursuing, mm-hmm. right? To mm-hmm. air out their stuff that maybe they've not made a covenant with, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and how how do we? What do we typically say? I mean, do we go tell the church everything that we know about the situation? How do we care for the church? Give them enough res- give them enough information to do their job as church members, mm-hmm. yet still love those that are caught in sin. Like, yeah, we try to focus very much on what the sin is. We try to talk about that. We define the sin. Uh, we hopefully are even teaching the church about why God would say that to be a sin. In what way is it defaming his character? Which, by the way, I made a ma- major overstep at the front end of this podcast when you asked me why are we doing it. I focused on the individual. And that's true. It is to discipline them. But even more importantly, the reason why we're doing that, why does the church exist anyway? To display the greatness of God, to to shine forth his holiness. His church is a holy people, which holy means set apart. We're set apart from the world. And so uh, we're instructing them, going back to the question, uh, we're telling them what the sin is. We're telling them why it's sin and how it defames the character of God. And we're giving them only the information necessary to substantiate that sin. We're not getting into the gossip of the what ifs and the whys and that sort of thing. Yeah, and so again, the the goal is to give enough information so church members can do the job the Lord has given them yeah. without tempting them towards gossip or slander or anything else. Yeah, and so we we tell it to the church. And is there any prescribed amount of time, Nathan, that we must wait or should wait or whatever no. between between each step? No, no defined <laughs> amount of times. Thank God for that. Yes. Yeah, that would be hard to to work out. We do have something in our constitution that sort of talks about the way in which we should we should notify the church that we're going to, you know, uh, gather a meeting yep. in a certain amount of days. But there's nothing in the Bible. We just think that's prudence. Yeah. Uh, no, no time frame. So some things may some things may be so grievous as it relates to the witness of the church that we might and so substantiated that we might move more quickly. Some things, as we've seen in the life of our church, are muddier and harder to discern, and they they might go on for months, maybe years. Yeah, and so there's there's no the Lord and His sovereign wisdom didn't put prescribed times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he there's a, there's a general process, and then the church is working it out together. Yeah. So you tell it to the church, and then uh, you you think we tell the individual, hey, we told this to the church, and the church is in agreement that if you don't repent, then we're go- we can no longer affirm your salvation. We're going to remove you yeah. from the church. And so that's what Jesus means when he says treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. Or we have in 1 Corinthians 5 this very thing mm-hmm. where Paul is writing, if you go read Colossians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1, he's writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. Yeah. So he's writing to a real church in a real place that really gathered together. And yeah. he writes to remove this unrepentant sinner from among them. Yeah, let me read it for you. Yeah. First, 1 Corinthians 5, 4. When you are assembled, there's the word. So we, we, we ought not make such a decision when we're not, we're not assembled. We don't just, you know, sort of say like, uh, you know, we're going to make this decision in and of ourselves disassociated. No, we're going to assemble when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I understand that to be not a picnic. 
You know, not just some, we're at a baseball game. There happen to be a few there. No, we're coming together for the purposes of the exaltation of the glory of Christ. And I think that he's picking up on Jesus' language back in Matthew 18. When, when two or three are gathered in my, my name, name. There it is, yeah. Uh, and my spirit is present with power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man, he's referencing a particular individual, to Satan. Why, though? Here, here comes back to that thing that I said at the beginning. For the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, all this is doing, it's not the end of the story. Uh, we excommunicate them in hopes of seeing them return. Let me give one example of this. I think it will help people. Um, so when my children are disobedient and they're willfully disobedient and it's not good, what I will sometimes do is I will send them to their room, right? So we're all in the den together as a family. And I send them to their room, and my kids never like that. They don't like being sent away. They fine with their room. They'll go to their room and play, you know, that kind of. But this time, it's for discipline purposes. They go to the room, and they're very unhappy. And I'll tell them to think about what they've done, this sort of thing. And eventually, what often happens is, is one of them will stick their head out the door, kind of looking in with tears coming down. And I will say, "Are you ready?" to tell us what you've done wrong. You ready to just talk about it? Yes, we'll come in there. And then they repent. And then after they repent, we bring them back into the family. And what happened was, was that being away from the family, they didn't like it. And they wanted to come back in. That's what this is doing. That's right. That's right. And, and two other things about that. One, you see that though Paul planted this church and is even an apostle, he does not have the authority. He does not take the authority sure to do. say, I remove this man from your church. No, yeah. he tells the church to do it. Yeah, That's going to be the difference. Between, that's one of the reasons we are a Baptist church. Right. And so yeah. it's clear that Paul is assuming the uh, the members of the church have the authority to receive and to remove who they believe is faithfully professing and practicing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one thing. And then second, that that assumes they know who is among them. Yep. They know who is part of the church in Corinth. Yep. And so they knew this man This man was part of their fellowship. It's not just random people maybe showing up now and again. That's right. And so yep. uh, those things. And then, then third is he says to deliver this man to Satan. So evidently there's some type of spiritual protection the church has mm. uh, as, you, as you gather together. Mm. I think about Ephesians 6 and spiritual warfare. And so being meaningfully involved with a local church is an act of spiritual warfare against Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And Paul says, I think there's a, again, I just want to bring this up to talk about our culture. Our culture will say this is very judgmental. You know, is, or maybe they'll even say, isn't this judgmental? At which time I say, yes, yes, of course it's judgmental. Why would you, but didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Nathan, don't judge lest ye be judged? Yeah, so totally different, out of context passage. So uh, Paul, read it. Paul says in this passage. Yeah, verse 12, same, same context of what I just read a moment ago. First Corinthians 5, we're working down to verse 12. For what have... Uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church, the assembly, whom you are to judge? Mm. God judges those outside. Purge the evil. There's a command. Purge the evil person from among you. And again, just to solidify that, we're all evil apart from Christ. It's the evil person is the one that is, as we've already said, that is unrepentant in their sin. Yeah. That's right. And so, Joey, let's just let maybe end, unless you have something else. I wanted to walk through five, the, the why, real quick. So the, yeah. the, the ultimate why is love. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was going to go Okay, next. there you go. So the ultimate why, or the ultimate why is love. And so God is motivated by love. And so I'm, I'm going to give you five loves, and you tell me how they, they work out. So restorative church discipline is love for the individual in sin. Why is yeah. that loving? 
because as it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, so that their spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The reality is, as Revelation and, and 1 Corinthians 6 and other passages make clear, that these kinds of unrepentant sinners do not make it into the kingdom of heaven. And so we're loving them by saying, listen, your car is headed towards a broken down bridge. Turn around. Yeah, so it's love for the, it's love for the individual Christians in the church. How is restorative church discipline love for the other Christians in the church? Well, our mission is to make disciples. And what we're doing in doing this is this act is we're loving them by teaching them that this kind of behavior, this kind of attitude, this kind of posture is not in keeping with Christ, his character or his gospel. Therefore, you ought not do it. So it's warning. It's instructive to the church. That's right, so loving to them. Love for the individual in sin, unrepentant sin, love for the individual Christians, love for the church as a whole. How is restorative church discipline loving for the whole church? Well, you think about one of the, one of the biggest uh, critiques to the church in our culture today. One of the reasons they don't want to be Christians is they look at the church and say, well, the church is just a bunch of messed up people that are no different from the world. And I do think that's in, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's in part because the church of Jesus Christ our global has not done a good job at teaching this and protecting this. And so all these people are members of churches and yet they're sleeping around with their spouses and et cetera. So it's, it protects the witness of the church around the, around the world, which leads to the next love, which is love for lost. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. So therefore it then gives a witness to the countercultural community that is in heaven so that they look and say, those people are different. So this is the teaching of John. They will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Mm. And we love, we already talked about those other loves, and they should be looking at the loves, uh, the, 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 the kindness, the beauty, the doctrines, the convictions of the church and say, that community of people over there is different. There's something about them that's different that should be attractive. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's love for the individual calling them to repentance. It's love for the individual Christians instructing them in righteousness. It's love for the church pursuing purity and holiness. It's love for the lost because it, it exemplifies the gospel, but ultimately it's love for God. Mm-hmm. How is restorative church discipline a love of God? Well, most notably because the Lord commands it. So whatever he commands must be good. And so it shows that we love him. We, uh, we, we, uh, we love him by obeying him. You know, it's the same way that my son loves me is when I ask him to clean his room. He loves me by his going to clean his room. Uh, and that's what God has asked us to do. God is good. And so therefore, by our obedience, we love him. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's all motivated by love. I know it's hard at times for the world around us and even Christians that are people that are going through this to feel it as love. Uh, as a parent, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't always feel loving, and my yeah. children don't always understand it to be love when discipline mm-hmm. happens, but that's what the ultimate motivation is. Well, I think, again, just to sort of our, our culture has redefined love to mean this sort of warm and fuzzy thing where we're always affirming each other. And we all know at the base of it that that's not love because we all understand that if you're raising kids, you tell them, no, that's wrong. Don't put your finger in the light so- socket. That's yeah. wrong. So it is loving to do this. It may not feel that way, but of course it is. Yeah, these people are, if it's true that if you are unrepentant in sin and you go to hell, then man, we would be the most unloving people in the world if we just let that go. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And one final warning about this to leave us with, as we go through this work, Paul gives us another, by the way, this discipline, restorative church discipline is all through the New Testament. Uh, but another one that maybe you don't think about is in Galatians 6. So I think this would be a good way to end is to warn us the pattern of thought as we walk this out. He says in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so the caughtness there of sin is the stuff we've been talking about, the unrepentant sure. sin. Yeah. 
you who are spiritual should restore him. There's that restorative church discipline. Uh, but how? So this is the admonition. This is the warning. In a spirit of gentleness. Mm. Gentleness. That's the love. A spirit of gentleness. We, If we are heavy-handed, if we're mean-spirited, we're not doing it right. Um, yeah. In a spirit of gentleness. And then listen to this uh, warning. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so then it goes on to talk about that's the context of bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. But as we walk this through, you got, we got to be careful to A, do it with gentleness and B, be very careful of our own souls because we might get caught up in it and be pulled into it. That's right. Yeah. It's a good word. It's a good word. Uh, well, Rush Race Church, we love you. And this uh, is some of the hardest work we'll do as a church. This is easily the hardest work that elders do when, and oh. brothers and sisters, when you see our church going through this, pray for your pastors, because mm-hmm. this is the hardest work we have to do. None of us enjoy this work, yeah. but it is so important that we do it. So, yeah. Amen. May the Lord give us faithfulness. Amen.